Thank you so much, Jedediah and team. You know, it's almost like the way you lead worship, Jedediah, is like iPhone versus Android. Have you ever heard that <laughs> analogy before? Ah, that was, you just needed that last, yeah. Well, good morning again. Start with a question. Have you ever started a project and you were super passionate about it? And you, you, you researched it, you started reading about it, and then, then you started to make, uh, your, your spouse was a little perhaps concerned, but you started purchasing because you were so enthusiastic, and you start on this project, and you're doing it, and about halfway through, you just lose the enthusiasm, and it's left undone. Ever happened to you? Yeah, some, yeah. No, I see spouses whispering. That's not allowed, right? No elbowing of that. You have to receive it yourself there. So we were uh, looking at houses a while ago and we found a house with an unfinished basement or I should say it was about a quarter finished done because they had started the basement. Not only had they had started and had some of it done, they had purchased all of the flooring for the basement. They had purchased all the, there, there was a, a downstairs bathroom, the sink in there. They even had the mini bar. They had purchased the, the siding and it was left undone. And we don't know the story behind it, but there was a, a, a possibility that perhaps because of domestic issues, that they had in the house, started the process, uh, finishing the, the basement themselves, but then because of whatever issue, they stopped and they sold the house and they just added all of things that they had purchased to the price of the house. And I was thinking, that that's a little bit can be a picture of the church. That sometimes the church can be working at vital ministries, but we have some domestic issues and it stalls us. Yes, sometimes. Yeah, I, in fact, I think that's a, a ploy of the enemy especially when there's vital ministries. I was thinking how this particularly applies to evangelism and sharing our faith. That, that evangelism is meant to be a vital ministry of the church, but oftentimes churches treat it I'm not throwing stones from glass houses. Our church is guilty of this sometimes. Is we treat it evangelism like the basement. It's not the most important room, but if we have time and resources, we'll get to it. Right? Yeah? It should be the living room. It, it, It shouldn't be the basement. It should be one of the vital ministries. We've been in this series... Um, For the last several weeks, and this is the final week of what we've called Empowered Kindness. It has been a series on evangelism, and it's been refreshing, it's been renewing. I've really enjoyed preaching uh, different aspects about it. It was time for our church to really think deeply about this. However, I have a concern. 
that once I get done with the series that we're going to let go of witness and evangelism continuing to be a vital part of who we are as a community of faith, of sharing the best news in the world with our loved ones. And, and the way that I've tried to preach it is some principles that are not just temporary, but principles that are not just a, a project or a part of our lives, but these principles would become part of our DNA, part of who we are. That's why we've talked about the thing like the Springs Challenge where we've said, hey, I want to challenge you every day. Every day, would you connect your life to God's divine search? Would you every day pray for, and I know some of you have been, would you every day pray for some who do not know the Lord? Would you potentially every day seek to be Jesus to others, i.e. Jesus is the kindness of God, as we've talked about? Would you seek to do one act of kindness, not random act of kindness, but one spirit-led, as the spirit guides, as you say, Lord, help me to be kind in some way to these folks? as I enter into a restaurant or a grocery store, work or school, I'm hoping and praying that we don't let go of the Springs Challenge once the series is done. And I wanted to share one final story of our series that comes from a mission story of the life and ministry of Jesus. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, if you'd turn with me there. And it's interesting that this story is, it's about Jesus sending some of his disciples out on mission. But as I was reflecting on this story, there were some dynamics that helped me to really see that, that through, even though this mission that Jesus was wanting to communicate some things that would become part of our DNA, that there's some principles that are beyond just a single mission. I got all these guitar chords here. Beyond just a single mission, beyond just a season of life that Jesus wants, this idea of sharing the faith in evangelism not to be an occasional thing, but a regular thing. And there's some principles in this final story that really um, have been important for me in my life in trying to sustain an element of engagement with God's divine work. So we're, we're in Luke chapter 10, and in chapter 9, he takes the 12, he gathers them together, and says, I'm going to empower and equip you and send you out. In Luke chapter 10, 
he works with a different group of people. Just like he did with the the 12, he's going to send out a larger number. Luke chapter 10. Let's just read the, the first couple of verses. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. If you've brought your own Bibles and you have a pen or a pencil or a highlighter, would you circle or highlight the word appointed? That's going to be important for us. Appointed. Sends them out two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he's about to go. Now listen to the instructions. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, interesting, the very first instruction that Jesus gives the 72 is what? To pray, right? is to pray. And I think that if Jesus were so cheesy as I am to have a cardboard and he knew that we had a challenge to pray for our non-Christians, friends, and loved ones daily, I think he would add to that challenge. Would you pray for more people who get it? Would you pray for my children who know me and love me? And would you pray for them to begin to see beyond their own relationship with me, beyond their own faith to the harvest before them? that they would join you. Even before he sends the 72, he prays, pray, he says, pray for more that would join you in this kingdom adventure. So he adds to that prayer challenge. So pray. Verse three, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. So this is a little bit of a pep talk that Jesus gives. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Does anyone find that instruction odd? I don't feel like verse 3 and verse 4 go together. I would think that, you know, Jesus, of course, he's talking about, hey, there's going to be dangers, there's going to be challenges. You have a spiritual enemy that really does not want you to share the faith, does not want you to show the kindness of God to others. He's going to come against you. You are going to be among wolves. You're going to be like a lamb, be innocent as a lamb. So I'd think the very next verse should be, So pack some extra stuff to be prepared. Get it extra sandals, right? Get some extra food because you're going to face hardship. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, don't take the extra stuff. Why why wouldn't we take any extra stuff? He 
he's got it covered, right? He, he's saying, all right, free cup of coffee for you. Yes, nice word. He, he just, he says, hey, don't you know that my father knows your needs? I've already told you to be focused on the kingdom of God. Don't be distracted with all those other things. Would you trust? Would you have faith? That if you're doing the family business, if, you, if you're doing the Father's work, he knows your needs. He'll take care of you. That's one reason why I think he says, don't pack extra stuff. There's another reason that he says, don't pack extra stuff. I think what Jesus is doing is he's communicating a sense of urgency. He's saying, this is so important. This is not basement of the house of God. This is living room. This is so important. Don't waste time. In fact, that's the only way I make sense of those next lines where he says, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. In the Middle East culture still today, it's a culture of hospitality. And that if you greet someone or, or greeted, that, that can take a long time, even days of blessing, of sharing a meal together, and all of those things. And he says, don't greet people on the road because you are on mission. You're on focus. Don't waste time. Your energy is limited. Your focus is limited. So would you shore up and say no to some things so that you can have a, I guess I would call it the best way like this, a sustained urgency, a sustained focus on the task I'm calling you to. Now, I asked you to circle the word appointed. And I think this is a crucial aspect of us and our approach to uh, evangelism and witness. That part of what Jesus is saying through this missional assignment, he's saying, you have been appointed to this task. In fact, as I mentioned, chapter 9, he appointed the 12. Listen to Luke 9, 1 and 2. He says, when Jesus had called the 12 apostles together, he gave them power and authority. He equips them with kingdom power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. What is easy for us to do in the 21st century as Christians go, well, that was the 12, right? They, you know, they, they'd been with Jesus and they, they, had some, they had some experience and understanding and so forth. That was the 12. That's not me. I find it so interesting that he, in the very next chapter, goes to the 72. And do you know what we know about the 72? Just about nothing. 
That they, they, it seems they were just everyday people that were hanging out with Jesus. That they were growing, that they had enough, that they were gathered. They, they weren't part of the inner circle of three that Jesus had. They weren't part of the little bit bigger circle of 12, but they were the 72. They weren't give, getting the extra personal attention that the 12 were getting. They were just getting the kingdom message. And Jesus says to the 12, you guys stand over there. It's not your turn right now. I'm going to gather these folks. I wonder if the 12 were like, Really? They're not nearly as sweet as we are. I mean, they, they're just regular. Jesus, are you sure? Just, yeah. It's almost as if Jesus is saying through this text that to become a Christian is to be appointed to his mission. Yes? To be a Christian is to be engaged in the work of the kingdom. It's not just about what you believe. It's not just about church attendance. It's not just about serving somewhere. All those things are good. But it's about being appointed to a mission, a calling, a deeper work, a broader work than just your life. I believe one of the things that Jesus is saying is today is I am appointing you to this kingdom work. I want to give you the authority. I want to empower you. I want you to, to leverage your life to a work that's greater than your family. I remember the first time that I really experienced a conversion, not to Christ, not to his church, but to his cause. I was in college and I was at a, a conference and I was listening to a professor um, who was sharing about his college days. And I was a I was a, a junior at the time, and he was sharing about his college days and the excitement and the energy that he had with fellow students when they were trying to figure out the ways to share the gospel with their fellow students, to take the campus for Christ. Now he was a professor at a different college campus and he was trying to join with the Christian students at this new campus to take this campus for Christ. And I realized at that moment, I had been on my campus for my education and my friendships and how I was trying to grow my own life. And I was not present on the campus for the sense of mission, that I had not said, God, what are you doing on this campus beyond me? How do you want to use me in this way? I had not yet connected my life to his mission on that campus. 
And I realized, well, that changes things. Now, when I get a job in the world, I don't want to just get a job for my own career and career advancement. I want to ask, Lord, what are you doing in this place of work? How are you on mission? How are you inviting people? And how are you calling me to to join you in mission? That changed how I attended and went to that campus and to school. And I began to ask the question, how should I be on mission wherever I go? That lo and behold, my life is not just about me. Hmm. But it's about what God is doing in the lives of people around me. That's why evangelism is so quick to fall by the wayside in healthy churches because if you're having domestic issues you're arguing about hey what about me I'm not getting my needs met and evangelism is a selfless experience it's saying I'm going to lift my eyes beyond my own life my own relationship with Jesus and ask the question God what are you doing in the people around me And how do I join that? Um, I'm also encouraged by the appointing. He appoints us, but the appointing is not meant to be a one and done. The appointing is meant to be something that he continues to pour into your life. There's a number of texts that support that. I just wanted to give you this one text, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Who is the source of godly power in our lives? It's the Holy Spirit, yes. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Why would he talk about the Holy Spirit as someone to drink? Because it's meant to be an ongoing experience of being filled and filled again. That he's saying, I don't want you to be on mission on a daily basis on your own power. But here's the good news. I don't go empower and then you never get to talk about it again. But on a regular basis, you get to drink of my presence and power and wisdom and counselor. I have a good friend who says when he wakes up in the morning... He wants to pray for the fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit before his feet hit the ground. Because he doesn't want to live one step without 
the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't say that I do that because really I have to drink coffee first to reach a level of consciousness that my friend perhaps doesn't have to do. So I drink coffee. Yeah, the spirit is like coffee a little bit in this way. I drink for a little bit of that consciousness and then in my prayer time, say, Lord, I, I, I want to be renewed by you. I, I don't want to live today outside of your presence. I don't want to live on my own selfish agenda. I want to live on your agenda, by your direction, your guidance. Would you fill me? Would you anoint me with your Holy Spirit? We all have been appointed Friends, I think this begs the question. Are you living on mission today? This day, are you on mission? Well, I, I mean, I, I believe in the, that's good. I attend church pretty right, that's good. It's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, are you on mission today? Will you be on mission tomorrow? To be a Christian is to be on mission. Now let's continue in chapter 10. This gets at another principle that has been really significant for me in sustaining a sense of mission in my life. Verse 5, it says, he says, you're on your way, you haven't packed extra stuff, you're trusting in the Father, he's going to provide for you, you're mindful of prayer, you're prayed up. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. That's interesting. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. That's interesting. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. What in the world is Jesus talking about there? He's repeating peace. And this is the, the best way I understand it, is one that we are called to both bring the peace of God to the people around us and then also seek people of peace. Bring the peace and seek the peace. Be a person of peace and seek out people of peace. Let me, let me explain uh, it this way. So if you are a Christian and you have received Christ, then you are no longer at odds with God. Or the Bible actually says if you are not a Christian, you are enemies of God because of your sin. You are living a life contrary to God. So it means to be an enemy of God, right? However, if you've become a Christian, you are now at 
peace with God. You've changed your life, right? You're, you're, you're walking in a way. The sin is not a barrier. You're not an active rebellion. You're seeking not to listen to the voice of the enemy or your own selfish voice. You're listening to God and he's working peace deep within you. The gospel is in your heart and soul. And you're walking around as God's temple. You're walking around as a jar of clay with this treasure of the gospel within you. Isaiah 52, 7 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Who's he talking about? Christians, yes. Only one cup of coffee for you today. How, how, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim? Who proclaim? Peace. There it is. Read it. Who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. What, what he's talking about is that you are a person of peace. You've experienced, you've been reconciled with God. Now you bring this message of peace that, that you're like one beggar to other beggars who's found bread, the bread of peace. You've found the Lord, you've experienced his peace. Now you get to go to other beggars and say, I found bread and it will give you peace you bring peace one of the ways that I, I've tried to live that out is that I've tried to be a person of peace with Christians and non-Christians I've wanted people to experience me even when I disagree with them even when they would value and, and their lifestyles vastly different than mine. I want to be a person of peace to them. I want to carry the gospel. I want them to experience me in that way. I confess, I don't always do that. Sometimes people experience me as an anxious presence. Sometimes people experience me as a distracted presence. But by the grace of God, I'm trying to work on that, that people, Christian and non-Christian, would experience me as a person of peace. It begs the question, friends, how would you say people experience you? Especially... Not your loved ones, not the closest ones. Especially those who you don't get along with well. Especially those who have values that are different than yours, who look differently than you. How would they experience you? Would they know you as a woman of peace or a man of peace? Now this works in another way. Because you notice that Jesus says, proclaim peace to this household, but also that you're looking for a person of peace. What does that mean? I, I think the person of peace that Jesus is talking about is slightly different 
than who we are. That these people are not Christians yet, but they are soft to the things of God. There's an openness in their hearts to the things of God. There's an element they might not know Jesus Christ. They might not believe fully in God, but there's an openness, a sensitivity that they would be in a different sense than we would be people of peace. They would be people of peace. That Jesus is giving permission for you and I to be somewhat strategic in how we use our time and energy and focus. He's saying, listen, it's okay to look for the people in your life that there's an openness, there's a, there's a desire for more, there's a willingness to engage in conversation. Jesus states what I believe is the same principle in a different but harsher way, but I think it might help us understand. He says this in another place. He says, do not give uh, dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What is Jesus saying there? He's calling some of our loved ones dogs and pigs. Don't blame me, I'm just the messenger. You can take it up with Jesus if you want. But the point he's saying, look at, he's, he's talking about what is sacred, right? He's take, talking about what's, what's beautiful. And he's saying, if they don't have a place, if they're in the place where they're hard to that, where, where the ground, the soil of their heart is not open, there's not a softness, it's okay for you to move to other folks. Because if you are part of the worker, if, if you are committed to working, I'm going to bring you to people. It's again part of that urgency. He's saying, I'm wanting you. You have limited time. You have limited focus. I want you to be mindful. This goes back to the spirit-led aspect. I want you to be mindful of where am I working. If you're trying out, if you're throwing some seeds and it's hard ground, and so move on. Don't stop loving that person. Don't stop being kind to that person. Don't stop even, I would say, praying for that person. But when it comes to those evangelistic efforts, he's saying, look for those people of peace. Paul demonstrates this beautifully in Acts when he goes to um, Philippi. And it says um, in Acts 16, it says, on the Sabbath, we, Luke is talking about their, their missionary journey, um, I think we have that, we have that, yeah. On the Sabbath, we went outside to the city gate to the river, or outside the city, where we expected to find a place of prayer. So this was uh, common, especially uh, women were, would seek and have places of prayer outside of the city. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman, a woman from the city of Thyatira, I think is how you say that, named Lydia, 
a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. She wasn't a Christian yet. She didn't know Jesus. But she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. I love that story because Paul is living Luke 10. Like he, he went and found that person of peace, Lydia. And then she's like, would you stay? Yeah, okay. It would have been probably a cultural faux pas for a Jewish man to, to stay in a Gentile home. But in the kingdom of God, our culture is different, right? So he lives this out. All right, finally, let's read uh, the rest of that, picking up in verse 8. Some crucial things I don't want us to miss. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near, a repetition of that title. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom um, than for that town. And the principle that I, I think that he wants to, to bring deep in our hearts and part of our DNA and not temporary is that we share the kingdom and we proclaim the kingdom. We share kingdom life, a life that looks dramatically different and we give them a taste of that life by bringing healing and restoration and renewal. The Apostle Paul would say this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. He's saying the kingdom of God is not about rule following. It's also not about shallow stuff in this world. But the kingdom of God is about righteousness. It's a life that is in a right relationship with God. It's a life that's being mindful of sin and that gets things that get in the way of our, our relationship with God. And we address those. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and about peace. It's not a life about anxiety and stress and worry. It's a life that discovers peace with God and therefore peace with fellow man and woman, even your enemy. Because this peace is rooted in this peace. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a life that's filled 
with the presence and power that connects us in a different way, we get to proclaim joy of the Lord. We get to proclaim peace. We get to offer to the others in our life a different way to live filled with righteousness, peace, and joy. If I can return to the the Titus passage, some of you were there that we started so long ago where Paul said that the righteousness, uh, the kindness of God has been revealed to you in the person of Jesus Christ. That kindness does not go away. That kindness transforms and shapes. That kindness directs our lives. And we are to never let go of that kindness. If you recall, I did put a timetable of one spirit-led act of kindness a day. Do you remember my timetable? I just think we should do this for a duration, not forever, not forever, until Jesus comes back. Because what's the one thing that we will not do in heaven? Evangelism. So we better get it done here while our time is limited. Friends, you have been appointed to live in the fullness of the Christian life is to live on mission. It's to join your life with the sacred call, the sacred search that our Father is on for our friends and family. To live in that fullness is to daily connect with that mission through sharing the kindness of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. What I really wanted to do this morning was just in the best way that I can Many of you have been appointed and are living on mission, and I celebrate that. But we all need that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit, don't we? We all need to drink of the Spirit daily if we're going to live the mission so if you're willing, just you can stay seated, but um, as an act of, of desire and longing, if, you, if you're comfortable, would you put your hands just on your lap and, and open them? just want to pray that appointing, pray that fresh infilling. I'm going to turn my hands the other way as a symbol of that fresh and filling. So, Father, I 
so thankful that we are not living lives that don't mean anything, that are not separated from your work in this world, that you have granted us lives of purpose and significance and mission, Lord. And Lord, we say help. Would you help us to be a people of mission? Would you sustain our urgency to join you in your work in this world? So for those of us you've prompted, those of us who are ready, Lord, we want to drink deeply of your presence and power, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill us? Would you renew us, Lord God? Would you fill us with your righteousness? you fill us with your peace to fill us with your joy would you teach us to be a people of peace that shares your peace with those around us pray that in the name of the father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Can we stand together and respond in song? I want to invite you, those of you, to our kingdom partners upstairs. Just a few minutes, we'll share in a meal. Um, also, if you want to be prayed for, there's something that was struck you, and, and you want that prayer, would you grab one of our leaders? They'd love to pray for you. Would you go? Would you seek to be people of peace? You have this treasure within you that this broken world so desperately needs. It's the love of God. It's the kindness of God. It's the mercy of God. It's right there. Do not keep that to yourself. In fact, he is the streams of living water that is meant to not pool up, but to flow from within you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God bless you.